You're listening to the ESO Network, your station for all things geek. Welcome to Earth Station One, a weekly podcast dedicated to all things sci-fi, fantasy, and much, much more. Sit back and relax and enjoy the show. Hey, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Earth Station One podcast. That's right, folks. We are back, and it is Mike and Mike. Hey, sir. Howdy. We are talking music this week, and we are looking at Aerosmith this time out. It was Bambi's Choice, and we are talking about, what did you call them, the Bad Boys from Boston? Bad Boys from Boston, yep. And it should be a lot of fun to, you know, chat all about, you know, the band that actually made a huge mark uh, from the 70s almost till today. They are still making news. It's pretty amazing. These are they two- were just here in Atlanta like uh, last weekend, right? Or the weekend before last for the Super Bowl. Were they? I yeah, didn't they, pay they attention played. to that thing. No, they didn't. Well, they didn't play at the Super Bowl, but they actually had a concert on uh, it's Friday or Saturday night at the um, State Farm Arena uh, for the the tickets were very expensive. Very <laughs> and expensive. and we're shocked how. No, not at all. No, I know. I see. I didn't pay attention to any of that stuff. Friends of mine wanted me to go see the Foo Fighters because uh, they were down at Atlantic Station, mm-hmm. and they built this huge structure just for that concert. And Judy and I were driving by over the weekend because we went down to see a concert down at the Friday Playhouse on Friday, and they were tearing this thing down already. It's just a skeleton already. Yeah, it was actually not for just for that concert. It was for the whole NFL experience that was there. But yeah, I mean, it was it, it was only temporary. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And I know we've still got stuff from the Olympics hanging around. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> would think you would build something. It, this thing was huge. It, it was, was. It was probably could sit a good thirty thousand people. It looked like it was a big, big arena type thing, and it was just it was just amazing. But. You know, enough, you know, talking about that stuff that happened. Thank you for joining us this week. We're very, very happy to hear from you. Please write us at earthstation1 at esonetwork.com. We got a lot to talk about this t- this week, and we have a guest sitting with us right from the very start. We're going to be talking to Goff from Beer Nuts Productions. How is it down under, my friend? Well, it's uh, yeah, no, it's uh, it's warm and smelly, like things usually are when you're down under. So yes, indeed, it's uh, a long hot summer over here. That's for sure. Yeah, and we're freezing up here in Atlanta, so so it's it's just interesting, you know, different sides of the world. But we're talking to you. How have you been? It's been a couple months. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, no, we've uh, we've been busy down at the old Beer Nuts Productions Fun Factory. Uh, churning out uh, a couple of new films the latest one of course uh, you guys got to have a bit of a sneak preview at yes we got to see a, a story about um how do you want to put it uh gently for our family audience well 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 uh, it's it's just, it's uh talking about uh, ladies of the night let's say yeah that's a good way to put it that's definitely i like that so, so yeah, it's it's a mockumentary all about that particular industry and uh, the people who hire and the people who work in it, and it's also I like to think a uh, uh, making fun of the media a little bit and the way they go about reporting some of these things. Because uh, if there's one thing I don't know about you fellas, but if there's one thing that really drives me crazy 
are those like uh, 60 minutes or 2020 or 48 hour type shows, you know, where they chase someone down the street and all that <laughs> sort of nonsense. I just, I can't stomach those kind of TV shows. So I thought, uh, I thought when I was writing the script for this particular piece, I thought, well, I can, uh, I can make fun of them as well in this, uh, in the style that I make it. So, yeah. And you did it really well. And you were the central character in this, do- this documentary slash mockumentary. It was pretty cool. Well, th- I'm gl- glad you enjoyed it. Uh, no, it's, uh, yeah, well, it's, see, I come cheap. So I decide that uh, I, I should probably stick myself in there somehow because uh, I don't have to pay myself as much as the other actors. So, uh, yeah, that, that's how that usually comes about. But, uh, no, I'm, I'm glad you fellas enjoyed the piece. No, it was a lot of fun. I was actually watching it with my wife, and she just sat there with her mouth open most of the time. Like, <laughs> and she was like, what are we watching? <laughs> and I was going, oh, this is tonight's guest on the podcast. He's a great guy. Gotha, I have a, a question uh, for well, you. I, Sorry, I, I didn't mean to interrupt. A question uh, for you, though, while I was watching, I was thinking, like, how? so how? what's the process? Like, how long, how, how much time does it take to, to put something like that together? Yeah, so uh, it's a bit different for me than uh, usual filmmakers because of obviously my eyesight disability. It make and also the way I go about producing my work being an online distribution only sort of thing. Uh, it's a bit different. So and also we don't have a huge budget. So basically, uh, pre-production takes a few months. So with this one, it was mainly working with the actors because it's a very dialogue-heavy acting kind of piece. I didn't really need too much in the way of props or anything of that nature. It was more more about working with the actors. So I cast the project. I uh, make sure I get the actors in that I need. Uh, then I work with them to make sure they're delivering my jokes uh, how I want them to be delivered. That takes a few months. And then uh, filming gets done in one day. Editing gets done the next day. And then it's to the IT people to get it up online. So it's all the uh, the business end of it is done within a week, and but uh, the pre-production takes uh, takes a long while to make sure that it's uh, just right. That is awesome. What kind of audience do you guys usually get, like number-wise? You know, and how long have you been doing this for? Well, uh, Beer Nuts Productions been going since two thousand and six, but I only started putting projects up online in two thousand and ten, which was. Uh, our first film, which was a documentary, it's probably the only serious film I've done, which is uh, the documentary about disability and mental health. That was my very first film as a 90-minute feature, and that went up in 2010. And then since then, I've done uh, 15 other short films, which all go for about 20 minutes or 30 minutes, and uh, they all got put up uh, one by one as soon as they get done. And, uh, uh, yeah, um, I'm just trying to think. Uh, yeah, we've got some audio pieces up there as well, but uh, it's mainly the films. And uh, so as soon as I get uh, enough downloads where I've got enough money to make the next film, then I make the next film is pretty much my business model. Probably not something a financial planner would uh, suggest, but it uh, it works for me. People really enjoy the comedy films that, uh, that I produce and uh, they jump on and they download and get a laugh and then uh, they come back with the, uh, when the next one's up. No, totally understand that. And it's fun because this is not, you know, the first time I've seen films like this, but you have a certain, you know, aura around it. And it was a lot of 
it moved really fun. And then how you were confronting the husband saying, you know, we've been following you, you know, you've been going to the whorehouse for four days and twice on Fridays. <laughs> and it was, it was just a lot of fun. Oh, cool. Well, like I say, I'm, I'm really glad you enjoyed it because look, I love taking subjects like that and other subjects that I've, I've, I've done mockumentaries about. I love taking those subjects that people are a little bit sensitive about and, and making them see that, you know what, maybe we can have a laugh about this sort of thing and then we can discuss it in a more calmer sort of environment after we've sort of, you know, because I think laughter is a great way to diffuse a situation. So, you know, if, uh, if people are a little bit more calm about certain subjects, then, you know, I think more things can be achieved. So uh, I think, and the other thing too is, which I think is very important, when I'm making a film like this, it's very important to me that I don't play favourites. So I make fun of everybody equally. So it doesn't matter whether it's the uh, the ladies that do the work or the fellas that hire or, you know, like I say, I, I poke fun at the media and all that sort of stuff. So it's important to me that everybody gets an equal whack. So I'm not playing favourites. I'm not here to, you know, preach or to, uh, you know, tell people what to think. I'm here to entertain and hopefully that uh, makes them laugh and then they'll come at the subject matter with the you know with a bit more of a happier sort of a dis, you know a position if that makes sense no it totally makes sense and you know you put on it moved very smoothly and it, i like the progression and i like how you tied it up at to not be punning there but to you know how you tied it up at the end you know where you began and it worked like a true it, it worked just really well oh well th thank you very much i'm, I'm glad uh, glad you enjoyed it obviously hopefully the uh your fine listeners will jump online and have the same opinion as you when they check it out so yeah no just uh, look at the end of the day you know i i love entertaining folks and making people laugh so the fact that uh, you guys got a good giggle out of it and uh, I shocked your wife into uh, all kinds of uh, new ways of thinking, then that's a great thing. I, I think uh, I can say my job is done. Exactly. And my wife, I, if she talks to me later tonight, will be it'll be great <laughs> to find out actually what she thought about it. So it should be cool. <laughs> oh, well, if not, don't worry. I know a good divorce lawyer, so it'll be fine. You'll be sweet. Oh, exactly. We might have to go down to Australia to get the divorce, but that's okay. <laughs> you know, it's a good holiday. So, you know, win-win. Exactly. It's always a great time to go down. So it's awesome. <laughs> so for people out there, how can they find you? Absolutely. So, yeah, Beer Nuts Productions is the uh, production company and everything is available just straight off the uh, the website. So people just go to beernutsproductions.com. And all of our films, the good thing about us is that, you know, like a film's in the cinema for a few weeks and then it disappears. But with us, it's up there forever. So people can check out the new film and they can go back and look through our catalogue and see the other movies and the audio pieces and that sort of stuff that we've done as well. So there's plenty up there to keep everybody entertained. So you just, uh, yeah, beernutsproductions.com and obviously on all the social medias as well. So Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, of course, we've got lots of free clips up on YouTube, like trailers and, and interviews and all sorts of other little free clips up on YouTube. So just type in Beer Nuts Productions and uh, we come up ready to uh, to entertain, hopefully. Oh, it's definitely entertaining, my friend. It's definitely entertaining. 
Absolutely. I encourage everybody to check it out. Definitely well, yes. worth it. Absolutely. I, I, I endorse your encouragement. Yes. Goff, thank you so much for joining us. No, it's, it's a pleasure, fellas. I, I love chatting with you, fellas. So uh, anytime, uh, happy to come on. And uh, yeah, thank you so much for your time. I'm very appreciative. Hey, not a problem. And we will have you on again with your next project. Cool. Looking forward. I suppose, I'll, well, I guess I'll have to do something. You know, I've got to raise the bar now because you put the pressure on me, haven't you? So I've got to, uh, the next project's got to be bigger and better now. So I'll, uh, I'll have to come up with something good. <laughs> Not that this wasn't good, but it has to be better. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. I, I like it. Yes, indeed. Thanks, Goff. Thank you, fellas. Let's take a quick break, and we'll be back in a moment with The Geek Seat. This is Ashley Pauls with this week's Box Office Buzz. We've got several new movies coming your way in theaters this weekend. The first one we're going to chat about is Alita Battle Angel. This is a sci-fi action flick about a cyborg with no memory of her past. Now, I've been seeing lots of marketing for this movie, actually, although I have to say I think I saw the first preview for this back when I watched The Last Jedi in 2017. So I think it's one of those that has been pushed back a few times, which is not necessarily a good thing based on the reviews i'm seeing it looks like the story can't quite match the special effects which is a little bit what i was afraid of um it's not tracking super well in terms of box office but again you can never tell what's going to happen until a movie actually comes out i hope it's able to find an audience i know i'm planning to see it and hope that it'll turn out to be an interesting sci-fi film we also have the horror film Happy Death Day to You. Now, it's maybe not what you might expect from a traditional Valentine's Day weekend movie, but could be a smart bit of counter-programming. It's a follow-up to the movie Happy Death Day, which is about a college student who has to relive the same day over and over until she finds her killer. Finally, we have the comedy Isn't It Romantic, which is about an architect played by Rebel Wilson who gets knocked unconscious and wakes up in a world that's actually a romantic comedy. And guess what? She's the star. Finally, on DVD this week, we have Bohemian Rhapsody, which is, of course, about the legendary rock band Queen. I've been hearing a lot about this movie. It's one that I unfortunately didn't get a chance to see in theaters, so now I have no excuse. It's coming to DVD, so I'm looking forward to checking it out. And that's it for this week. If you're looking for more entertainment-related content, be sure to check out my blog, boxofficebuzzab.wordpress.com. Coming up this week, I'm going to have a review of The Lego Movie 2. What is the Geekly Oddcast? It's a panel show of television. I mean, seriously, where else was I supposed to go and watch Gomez Adams ride a rocket ship on a railroad track? Gaming. And the dice say... 17. Oh my god, 17 is Mystic Quest. And whatever comes to mind. Why does Zod need a starship? Alternating Thursdays on the Geekly Oddcast. Hey everyone, welcome back to Earth Station One. Now it's time for the Geek Seat segment, and this week's victim, I mean, guest, 
is Stuart Gofi. Welcome, Stuart. And you actually look like you brought Bobby Nash along with you. Yeah, I did. Bobby's right here. Hi, guys. Wow, what Bobby won't do to get out of the airlock. <laughs> well, you know, it's cold weather. It, it freezes up a little in there. <laughs> well, he's been a little jealous because JD's gotten out twice in the last two weeks. You it's know? true. It's true. Yeah. Left him all alone. And it gets colder when JD's not there. So, so tell us, guys, what, you, what have you been up to? Well, we're um, we're currently in the process, uh, Stuart and I, of putting together uh, audiobooks for my series of novellas that feature the character of Snow uh, that we've talked about on here before. Uh, Stuart is uh, is doing the narrating and reading of them, and they um, I've I've heard the first one so far, and it sounds fantastic. Oh, thanks, Bobby. Excellent. <laughs> See, listen to that voice. Does that not sound like the guy that should be reading like crime fiction? You know, um, but they're really good. Um, Stuart and I have uh, uh, collaborated on another. He also re- reads the uh, Lance Star Sky Ranger series. That in, I have in, in fact, before. Bobby, I've, I've stolen that. So from time to time, you might see me on gaming sites as Lance Star Sky Ranger Snow. Nice. <laughs> Keep 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 them keep the name alive. Well, you, so, you uh, have to give them at least a carton of Marlboros at least a week. So to at least yeah. every time I see them. <laughs> so well, you know, we want to keep that voice, and uh, you know that 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 nice deep voice is really perfect for for the for the crime fiction. So it, yeah, I, I couldn't be happier. I, like I said, I've heard the first one, and I've listened to um, about halfway through. I guess the second book, and they sound great. And, so we're just kind of doing a little pre-promotion while we're out. And I realized Stuart's never been in the geek seat. Dun, dun, dun. This is so. true. Um, well, very cool. We're, we're excited. To have Stuart you. may never speak to me again after tonight. <laughs> we're, we're excited to have you on the station, Stuart. Um, how, tell us a little bit about yourself. How long have you been doing voice uh, voice work? Well, uh, voice work since, uh, well, my, my first paid job was 1982. Oh, Audiobooks are sort of a, a newer thing for me. Uh, got into doing them uh, a little over three years ago, and uh, it's been a lot of fun. Just because you know, uh, enjoy reading, enjoy stories and things, and, and being able to uh, take in a story and and deliver it to somebody else uh, is really a, a kind of a cool thing. So, um, I spent. A number of years uh, as an actor, and this is just an actor's dream because you get to be all of the characters and, and the director, and it's just whatever you want it to be and nothing else. So it's it's really a great thing. When you when you do the audio books and when you're doing the reading, do you uh, emote a lot, or is it just do you do you have to tone it down a bit? Um, so it really depends on the genre um, and. Uh, the what, what's happening with the story so um the the narrator parts typically are more neutral uh unless things are getting really really tense and you know you gotta, um whereas character dialogue tends to be a little more animated a little more um uh, um differentiated if you will from the the we call it the neutral narrator voice uh so and fiction's different from nonfiction and you know things like that so um yeah so it's a uh, personally i i like to get into the story um i like to to try to carry you along with it and, and particularly bobby's type of stuff is is always 
exciting and there's there's always the the cliffhangers and the action and the so that's always the uh, a fun thing to do and you you really want to kind of deliver that to the listener and, and pull them into the story with you. So it's a lot of fun. Yeah, it sounds like it. I mean, I, I definitely, we've had, um, you know, audio folks on here before voiceover folks and all that kind of thing. And uh, you know, it's something that uh, of course we, we believe in, in uh, audio as well, because we've been doing this podcast for so long. So yeah. it's a great, great medium. It is absolutely. And you would think, with you know uh everything being as as hip and cool as it is that it wouldn't be a place for it but yet uh i find especially with audiobooks now uh a lot of people can't find the time to read so audiobooks during their commute uh while they're in the car while they're you know cleaning whatever that a lot of people are doing the audiobooks yeah and I, I think orson wells said it best when he was talking about the war of the worlds broadcast you know there's there is no stage as infinite as the imagination. And so that's just, uh, you know, when you can, you can deliver something that allows every person who uh, takes in the performance to see it the way they want to, uh, man, how much better can it get than that? Now, um, do you, is there, what I'm curious as to what maybe the, the longest book, book that you've ever tackled has been because uh certainly reading books uh you know sometimes books can take me you know weeks to finish but um, uh, with reading them out loud i would imagine there i mean how do you how do you figure out that ratio right so typically speaking the, the the target that we try to kind of steer toward as narrators is um between 9300 and 10,000 words per hour right so it all depends on the book. Um, my personal experience um, in an, a single book, I've had one go as long as 11 and a half hours. Uh, that was one book in a five-part series that totaled up to 55 hours. So that was a pretty, pretty big project. <laughs> wow. Now, if only I could type them that fast. <laughs> I've done a couple of a uh, couple of academic texts that were written by professors who were um, more enamored of their the, themselves than of their writing ability, uh, and they were not that long time wise. But oh my gosh, did they make you feel like it? <laughs> yeah, not, not real, not a real big fan of the academic uh, stuff, but uh, other nonfiction, um, I don't don't mind. It uh, it all depends on the what what the author's out to do. You know, sure. if the author, the author is trying to convey something that is interesting. Particularly, I find historians tend to be uh, really into what they're they're discussing, what they're, they're trying to present to the reader. And uh, as long as that comes through in the copy, then it's great. Um, but if it's uh, especially not really well written stuff by an academic, is just painful. <laughs> I would imagine. Um, are there any personal uh, books that you would like to to put over that you've done that people might want to check out? Um, well, uh, obviously, we're right in the middle of the, the snow series, and there are Absolutely. a lot of books right now. Um, and, and I don't know what they're going to end up with. There's, there's four I'm aware of. I don't know how many more Bobby's going to pour out the ends of his fingers before we're done. Yeah, see, see, series one should be six books. And if they sell well... 
then we'll, we'll there'll be more, but at least six. So, so dear listener, it's all up to you. If you, yes. if you go out and pick them up, then there'll be more. And yeah, this is a, and that's, that's great. Uh, a, a six pack of snow. I can see the marketing. <laughs> and none of it yellow. I might add. <laughs> no, no, this is crime fiction. That snow is red. Right. <laughs> what um, I'm curious as Joan, you, your own personal tastes. Uh, do you do you prefer to read or do you prefer listening to other? It's interesting audio because books? I used to listen to audiobooks, but since getting into producing them, um, I don't have any time to listen. to them. <laughs> right. You know, the ones I listen to are the ones I'm in the process of, of doing. So it's yeah, it's which is actually kind of cool because I, I I get to to quote and you know kind of listen to it in a way. Uh, in that that uh, the, through the production process, obviously, I'm kind of listening as I'm going along. So that's a uh, and, and I never have to complain about the narrator right. that way. So it's kind of cool. <laughs> well, very cool. We are very excited to have you both with us. And before we strap you down in the chair, is there any other projects or promotional stuff that you want to put over um, while you're here? While you, while you while have, I a, have chance? a chance, yeah. Well, you know, <laughs> um, yeah, all all. All of my stuff is is out on my website, um, which uh, through a, a long story that I might tell at some point is thatfamousguy.com. Um, and uh, so I was, I was real, uh, real pleased to snag that one a whole bunch of years ago and, and didn't use it for a long time and then finally decided that, that I'd put it to use for uh, for this stuff. So yeah, you can get to it at stuartgofie.com or thatfamousguy.com. They end up the same place. Um, all of my books are there. And uh I would just love it if, with anybody that wants to grab one and have a listen. Awesome. How many how many books have you done? Uh, uh, in fact, awesome. just before we went on the air, I got noticed that my latest went on sale, and that's the thirty third. Nice. Yeah. So, yeah. So, uh, once we finish up with the remainder of snow, um, that'll get us to what thirty seven, and then uh, another one on deck behind that. So. Uh, we'll be hitting 40 before nice. too long. Excellent. Well, Mike, he's all ready. Uh, he, the straps Ow. are on. Uh, he is, is, he is firmly in. You're just lucky. He's, you know, really has a cold inside. <laughs> you know, you know, with that voice, he can just knock those straps right off. You know, Probably so. don't make me angry. <laughs> uh Oh, uh oh, he's gonna hook up on us. He's not telling you that he's only like four eight and you know ninety eight pounds. It would be fun if that were the case. It's really funny because some of the guys that I know with the biggest voices really, really are small. But uh, uh, sadly, not in my case. Right. It's funny when I meet voice actors that I've admired over the years. It's like you're only that big. It's a great you know? secret, and we never look like what we sound like. No, it's the same thing with podcasters and or when you work in radio, when you meet these people and it's like, you don't look what I thought you did. You know, it's one of the greatest secrets of the world out there. It's pretty awesome. All right. Now that we've got you all buttered up, Stuart, you ready for your first question in the geek seat? All right. Lay it on me. Stuart, what was your favorite geek out moment? Oh, gee. Favorite geek out moment, man. Um... Okay, so one that pops to mind uh, is I was, uh, this is a bunch of years ago, I was uh, in San Francisco for a conference for a client of the company I was working for at the time, 
was a multi-day, unbelievably boring conference telecommunications stuff. Um, and as I was on my way to the keynote for the second day, I realized that the keynote speaker was none other than Leonard Nimoy. Oh, um, and that made the conference a little bit better. Uh, <laughs> it was, yeah. So that, that was definitely cool. Uh, it was a, it was a great keynote. Uh, and he, he barely, barely talked about Star Trek and yet it was one of the best speeches I've, I've ever listened to. So that, that was really, really cool. Uh, you still geeked out over it. Yeah, it was like, I did. It was, you know, I have to admit it was the, the, the moment I saw the name, I was just like, Ooh, Ooh, Ooh. So that's, you know, um, and the other one, it's kind of interesting what you were saying right before the question. And it reminds me of another one. Um, and that was that I got a chance to get to know Adrian Cronauer late in his life. And, and he was the, Oh wow. Yeah. If you don't know Adrian, he was the guy that uh, Robin Williams played in good morning. Vietnam. Um, and he wrote what's considered to be one of the seminal books in the voiceover world uh, titled how to read copy. Um, and I did manage to get a signed copy of that, um, before he left us. And that's one of my prize geek possessions now. So dude, that is awesome. Yeah, definitely. That is totally awesome. What was your most disappointing geek out moment? Most disappointing geek out moment. So many over the years. Um, (laughs) You're a guy. Of course there's plenty. Yeah. You know, I don't know. I'm I'm thinking it's really hard to believe we actually had windows ME release parties. Um, (laughs) um, yeah, I don't know. That's, that's, um, I, others I could think of that, you know, I don't want to name names to protect the innocent. Yeah. You know, I mean, we, I guess probably everybody that, that has a, uh, I met a celebrity moment, you know, uh, and they, they turn out to be, uh, less than expected. I, I guess that's, um, very you know, nice way of putting it. Certainly had that experience. Um, but you know, again, um, certainly I, I have no doubt that there are times when people meet me and think I'm less than expected. So, you know, again, I don't want to name names on that front. What geeks you out the most? geeks me out the most um lifelong probably aviation i have always been just completely stuck on the idea of getting off the ground um photography is a big one so um they get together in aerial photography or or aerial video which is big money pit for me um pretty much if it will help me get pictures from the air i'll sink money into it so drones are terrific for me um uh, licensed commercial drone pilot so i have all kinds of fun with that um star trek more than star wars for anybody that wants to know um love marvel movies uh, so that's that's all good stuff used to do uh, you know when i was a lot younger i collected comic books gave that up a long time ago but there's horror stories involved there that oh no bad bad news uh oh, uh oh. Let's not bring up that post traumatic syndrome there. Yeah, there's, well, uh, you know, um, there, there's a story if you really want to drag it out of me, but um, yeah. <laughs> we'll do it over beers. Okay, there we go. That's, that's probably better. I'll, I'll, I'll just say I have, a, I have a tragic memory involving the loss of a number one Steve Ditko book. So, <sighs> yes. And it's not Squirrel Girl. <laughs> <laughs> what turns your geek off Ooh, turns my geek off 
I would have to say people with no curiosity. Um, I, I just, I love people that are interested in stuff they don't know. Right. So, um, yeah, when I was, I was very, very little, um, my, my mother decided that she should probably change my middle name to why, uh, because that was my favorite word. Uh, why, 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 mom, yeah. why, 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 uh, yeah. So that's, that's a, a big thing for me. And, and, uh, I have had moments, uh, in, in meeting someone that I thought, oh, wow, you know, this, this is really, really interesting, very attractive person. I'd like to get to know this person. And they turn out to be, you know, just not even remotely interesting and it's just that's the uh that's the worst kind of feeling too when you meet someone like that and it's just like oh i wasted my time how how do i plan my exit now yeah (laughs) exactly do i chew my arm off or do i (laughs) too much yeah what fictional character would you like to meet the most fictional character would i like to meet the most this is not a fair question um I would have to say it's probably usually the protagonist of whatever I, I have read most recently. Um, so that means these days, whatever I've narrated most recently. So right now, probably Abraham Snow. Uh, yeah. um, I, you are so buttering up to the author. <laughs> this is my job. Um, I don't know. Or I would, I would maybe say Archer Snow in the current series. Cause I, I that, that was the answer I expect. I identify <laughs> with Archer quite a bit. He's, he's a, yeah, he's a, he's a very smooth dude. So yeah, I, I, I would have to, one of those two right at the moment. So, and you know, I move on to something else. It'll be something else. So that's. What fictional character would you like to meet the least? He told me, um, yeah, um, all time bad guys. I don't know. For some reason, this is from, from early on, um, Iago from Shakespeare's Othello has stuck with me um, as like the, the all-time quintessential scheming backstabber, right? So, uh, yeah, I don't, don't think I would, would um, like to, to meet him at all. It probably would not end well, um, especially if I thought he liked me. That would be bad. Ooh, yeah. yeah. You'd always be looking over your shoulder right there. <laughs> What is your favorite geek word, phrase, quote, or pose? Excelsior. We'll miss you, Stan. Oh, oh. I, you know, I, I, um, I saw. Uh, what was it? I saw a few, just a few minutes of Ant Man and Wasp Girl the other night, and it just happened to capture uh, Stan's cameo. And and I thought we're not going to get any any more of those. And it just you know it's like oh crap. Oh anyway, but uh, yeah, you know, um, Stan's been uh, Stan's been part of my life since uh, well most of it, which is better than half a century now. So um, yeah. What is your ideal geek occupation? I do both of them, uh, voiceover and narration, and uh, and I'm, I happen to be a wizard of IT, which uh, kind of indulges the, uh, the the godlike side of me, where I like to go, yes, I can make it so it shall be mine and no one else's. <laughs> that is awesome. And the way you said it was perfect. <laughs> that is awesome, man. What geek occupation would you not like to do? Ooh. 
one I did years ago, computer operations support, just sheer drudgery. You know, it's horrible. Wouldn't wish it on my worst enemy. Uh, maybe Iago. Yeah. <laughs> now, that, is the, that is a good sketch. That's actually our number one answer is any kind of IT work. It uh, doesn't surprise me. Nope. All right. You ready for your final question, Stuart? Here it comes. What is your ultimate geek fantasy? My ultimate geek fantasy would have to be getting the opportunity to voice a character in an animated feature film. That that just would be, you know, because there it is. It's there forever. And that would be fantastic. I could see that. And I think you'd be pretty damn good at it, too. Well, thank you very much. Now we just got to convince the right people of that. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> If anyone at Disney or Warner Brothers or video games right. or you happen to be listening right now, uh, that famous guy.com, let's talk. Well, Stuart, got great news for you, my friend. You've made it through the geek seat. Congratulations. <laughs> Mr. Mike Gordon, tell the young man what he's won. You have won a lifetime subscription to the ESO network, a value easily worth $108. Oh, Whoa, we're up. <laughs> And I still have a pulse. <laughs> oh, we didn't say you're getting out of here. No. But you're not. Wait, wait. Yeah, that'll, no. co- that'll oh, cost oh, you hundred and ten Guys, open the door. <laughs> no, you know this is Bobby Nash sat in the geek seat once, and you've heard what happened That's to him. What happened. <laughs> okay, that explains so much. Mm-hmm. It wow. definitely does. Well, awesome. Well, very cool. We're definitely um, tell us a little all about how we can get uh, the book and where we can find the audio. Well, so they will all appear on audible.com. They will also be available at Amazon and iTunes. Uh, The the first one, Snowfalls, should be coming out shortly here. Uh, The project I finished right before it. I just got the announcement for today. So I would expect probably within the next week or so. Uh, we should see snowfalls hit the the stands, and uh, you can pick it up there. Um, of course, I will be adding it to my site, so you can pick it up off there and and uh, and wherever Bobby happens to wander. I'm sure there will be footprints <laughs> that say where where it's yeah. available. Yeah, uh, Ben Books dot com is you know the publisher of the the paper version, so there will be links there and at Bobby Nash dot com and. You know, I'll put it all over social media and et cetera, et cetera. Is the audio just going to be download only or is it, are you going to have physical copies too? I uh, know Audible is all all download. Okay, yeah. gotcha. Yep. Well, very cool. Well, thanks again. Uh, good luck with it, uh, you guys. And uh, yeah, just uh, let us know when uh, the next one comes out so we can uh, help you promote that as well. Sounds good. Yeah. Thanks. Let's take a quick break and we'll be back in a moment with Aerosmith. ESO Network has a brand new Patreon? That's right. We're asking for your help, and you could do it for as little as a dollar a month. Don't fret. All your favorite shows will still be available for free as always, but now you can get exclusive podcasts and more not heard anywhere else but on our Patreon. 
To sign up for the ESO Network, Patreon's easy. All you have to do is click on the link on the top navigation of the ESO Network website or go to patreon.com slash ESO Network. With your support of the ESO Network, it's you who will reap the rewards. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to Earth Station One. Now it's time for the music segment. And Bambi's pick is, ready for this, folks, Aerosmith. Yes. No, otherwise known as America's greatest rock and roll band or, of course, the bad boys from Boston, the Toxic Twins, Aerosmith. Um, uh, Yeah, good call. Of course, Bambi uh, and Ricky Uh are both with us, joining us once again. Thank you, guys, for being on the station. And uh, we also have with us our iconic rock reporter herself. Michelle is here. Hi. Hey. Howdy. Hey. Oh, yeah. So, Howdy, um, sir. <laughs> yeah, let's get right into it because this is a big band and it's going to be, I don't, you know, it's going to be a, tough to cover them in such a small, small amount of time, really, because mm-hmm. literally like books and movies. I mean, this is, it doesn't get much bigger than this band. We've covered a lot of big bands, though. If we could um, do the Beatles, we could do Aerosmith. <laughs> so that's true. That's true. I mean, we we've done. I mean, I think every single act we've done so far has been a Hall of Famer. So, and this is actually the second one that's out of Boston. So that's kind of cool. Um, but let's start with you, Bambi. How did you first discover Aerosmith? Um, the first time I can actually remember, like knowing who Aerosmith was, I like I knew their songs just growing up. It's kind of like one of those those bands, like the Beatles. They just always were around but I remember I went home uh to Wyoming to see my dad and he let me buy uh some CDs or I think it was cassette tapes at the time or whatever I can't remember we were at like the local store in my hometown and I thought oh I'll get this this band called Aerosmith and it turns out it was permanent vacation is what I bought and I listened to it on his boat out in his backyard over and over again and that's when I knew who Aerosmith was that's that was my main introduction. I guess I had known they had a song on the on on TV or something I had seen, which was "Living on Living on the Edge," and I wanted to be Steven Tyler because he was the coolest thing ever I had seen at that point. Mm-hmm. He wow. was just so cool looking. Definitely, yeah. yeah. I mean, we'll talk all about the dynamics there. But uh, Michelle, what about you? What uh, What was your first exposure to Aerosmith that you can think of? Oh man, must have been early teens and walk this way came on the radio and i thought it was the most badass song ever (laughs) (laughs) the um yeah as far as yeah there's definitely different time like there's there's different i don't want to say different versions because aerosmith it has grown over the years but they've Mm -hmm. had like there's sort of different eras right there's the and we'll get into it but there's the 70s they started in 1970 uh, so there's the all through the 70s. You can really kind of track them by what label they were on because there's the Columbia years, which is the first decade, I think, or so. And then uh, they kind of have some trouble and then they go to Geffen. And with Geffen, they they produce like four or five albums. And then then after Geffen, then they go back to Columbia, but it's really owned by Sony then. 
And so then it's a, there's so, so there's there's three periods there, but then there's also some other you know drama and the band like Joe Perry leaves for a while, and so there's all sorts of drama that happens there. But um, I I discovered them uh, in the '70s as well. Although I was like, okay, so growing up in Massachusetts, it's just kind of like the air you breathe. I mean, it's just Aerosmith because by the time I was listening to music. Uh, let's see, I was born in 68. So by the time I'm listening to music, they're already on the radio. Um, and they're everywhere. In fact, I think it's a, uh, uh, sort of rite of passage for all people who are born in New England that they have to own, uh, uh they get for their, their 10th birthday, a copy of, Amer- of Aerosmith's Greatest Hits. Ah. Like that's, just, that's just the thing you do. It's a little known fact there. It's a little, it's a little known fact there that, uh, <laughs> That uh, Aerosmith cassettes are uh, in stocking stuffers. They make great stocking stuffers. Um, so, um, but I wasn't really into rock or what I considered hard rock music uh, for a long time. I didn't really sort of discover rock and the blues until college. And I do remember uh, through, I think it was my, after my freshman year, I was... Uh, working at a convenience store, I worked the late shift, the night shift. So, and WBCN, uh, which is an important radio station for Aerosmith, an important radio station for, I think, all of us. Um, WBCN always played, I think it was around two in the morning, they played a block of Aerosmith. And so I just, every night, I got to hear deep cuts. And I didn't know they were deep cuts at the time. I just thought, oh, they're just playing Aerosmith. Mm-hmm. So, I, I didn't even have to buy a lot of their albums and I still know like a lot of tracks that a lot of people are still not familiar with. So, and that was really, I, so I fell in love with the album toys in the attic and I got that. And then I, um, and I think when I first got my first CD player, I bought toys in the attic and then about a month later, uh, permanent vacation came out. So that was the second, uh, CD that I bought. And that's, those are the only two CDs actually I own of Aerosmith. I like, I have a couple of greatest hits compilations, but those are the only two I own. Mm. Um, so, so that's my deal. I've seen them once. I saw them at the Worcester Centrum, uh, on New Year's Eve. And sometime in the, they were, it was on the permanent vacation tour, but, uh, um, yeah, we'll talk about seeing them live in a bit too. But I want to get to Ricky. What was your first experience with Aerosmith? Well, much like Bambi had said, I had heard them. Uh, much like you had said as well, I'd heard them as far back as I can remember. But I think it was probably around the time that the video for Angel came out. What was that like? Eighty-seven. It was permanent vacation. So yeah. it it may have even been. It may have been a little bit after Permanent Vacation had come out, but they were still playing that video on MTV. They may have still been playing the video for Angel when um, Pump had come out. I'm not sure. But anyway, I remember whatever summer that was. I think it was 87, 88, somewhere around then. Mm-hmm. Aerosmith was just on MTV yeah. all the time. And I mean, I, I had obviously seen the video before with Run DMC. And uh, I'd heard some of the songs from Permanent Vacation as well as, you know, all the older stuff. But for some reason, it was it was right around then then that uh, it it just clicked with me. Man, these guys these guys have some really good music. And 
And I, I didn't just hear the songs and think, I like this song. That's when I started hearing the songs thinking, I like Aerosmith. Yeah, after a while, it's just, it's not a coincidence. I mean, after yeah. like <laughs> song after song after song after song, you're like, wait a minute, I guess I just like this band. Yeah. yeah. But for a long time, I would hear the songs not even thinking about who it was. Right. You know? And it was around that time that the video for Angel was playing and I think uh, Ragdoll that I, I really started. Dude Looks Like a Lady. That was another yeah, one. That was, was awesome. that was the first yeah. release. That was the first single off of Permanent. Run Stadium. DMC, Walk and, This Way. Mix F was around the same time, I think. That was a little yeah, that was, that was in this time was, I 5 or 86, I think. So, oh. I was thinking it came out like right, right before Permanent Vacation. It, well, it, it feels that way now. Yeah, it feels <laughs> that way now. But Run DMC's uh, time, but collaboration yeah, is, I believe, what got the band getting back together. The success of that song. Um, yes, no. Yes, but I mean, it did. It certainly led to their, if you want to call it, rebirth, or in Doctor Who terms, their regeneration. <laughs> yeah, I was like, well, that's, they had it. Was the album before Permanent Vacations where the band actually got together, back together? Yes. After yeah. they were, yeah, they had been fighting and stuff. Right. Um, I remember what it, which one it was. Done with mirrors. Yes, done yeah. with mirrors. Um, Mike, what about you? What's your experience with uh, Aerosmith? Well, let's go back, folks. <laughs> All right. For me, like growing up, Aerosmith probably was a lot of background music. You know, I had heard it, but I didn't realize who it was until probably, I want to say probably when I was like 10, 11. And this was probably, of course, like 78, 79. And that's when I started noticing, you know, being at dances and, you know, going to summer, when I was at summer camp and, you know, having the radio on all the time, you know, hearing dream on and walk this way on the radio all the time. And, you know, oh, that's pretty cool. But the first time I actually realized about Aerosmith was when I saw Sgt. Pepper. Ah, there you go. Oh, yeah. And seeing these guys with long hair and they scared me. <laughs> yeah. They're they're actually in the movie, yeah. right? Oh yeah, like, yeah, so, yeah, they're in the movie. So. Yeah, that movie scared me, but not because. Of oh well, yeah. She's <laughs> in Peter Frampton. Yeah, that was kind of scary. But Aerosmith, yes. you know, was awesome, and it was just like, okay, that's Aerosmith. Then they left my mind, and then I was reintroduced to them by Run DMC, mm-hmm. along with pretty much a, a lot of other people too. Mike, that that cover that they did of uh, "Come Together" is is oh, it is awesome. It's I I actually have that on my on my iPhone, so it's on my playlist. It's uh, you know the Beatles are covered a lot, Mm -hmm. and there's some that are better than others, but I I don't want to say that 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 eclipses the original. But man, it it Mm -hmm. gives it a run. That's for Mm, sure. I don't think it does, but that's. I am. <laughs> not even close, but it's okay. But it was interesting because, you know, seeing Steve Perry, you know, break through the wall in the Run DMC video and seeing mm-hmm. Walk This Way, it was like, oh, these guys, they're back, you know, and literally they were because from that point on, Aerosmith was everywhere. And yeah. They and really that was were. pretty, you know, awesome. You know, 
you had, you know, video, you know, love in an elevator, Jeannie's got a gun, you know, all the hits and, you know, then, you know, they were popping up everywhere. Even, um, you even had different members of Aerosmith popping up on TV shows as different characters and stuff, you know, even the homicide life on the street, you had Joe Perry and it was just awesome. You know, seeing him as a detective, Mm -hmm. it was pretty awesome. Yeah, wasn't he wasn't he in like the Sopranos or the Shield or something mm-hmm. as well or something like that? Oh man, I missed that. Yeah, he did some acting. Um, but you know, it's weird because I just finished his book uh, called Rocks, which is uh, definitely a recommended read. It uh, it's uh, his tale, and he doesn't you know he pretty much tells it straightforward. Uh, there's no apologies. There's no embellishment. Uh, it's just it is what it is with him. Uh, he talks all about, you know, the making of a lot of the, the big albums as well as the the antics and the shenanigans that were going on off stage and behind, you know, with the, all the drugs they were taking. I mean, this is this is literally a band that, I, you know, I think everybody around is surprised that everybody is still alive. Yeah. Them like and Molly's crew. Because all five of them were like, like from the 70s, from like the beginning of this band for like a decade were just high all the time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so, I mean, it took them a while. I mean, once they made, decided to get cleaned up, I mean, obviously they struggled with it, but. Well, wasn't um, it part of the so reason they, they disappeared for a while is because Steven's voice was pretty much shot from all the drugs he did. Steven's gone. Like he's, he's, he's had issues with his voice. Sure. But um, uh, like certainly in the, I don't think in the, in the eighties or nineties, I don't think that's why they, they were just, I think, uh, burnt out. Well, no, yeah. in the nineties, I think he, he had, uh, Steven Tyler had, uh, surgery. Had surgery. Had, yeah. And right. then later on, yes, you're right. He yeah. did have surgery later on and he was not sure. Yeah. That was, I think Joe talks about that and he says it, it was scary because they didn't know if he was going back. Yeah. So, um, but, uh, um, well, um, like I said, they've gone through different periods. Do you have a preference or is it just the whole package or do you just like, you know, like they do hard rock songs. They do like very upbeat, um, uh, like songs with strong hooks and, and then they, uh, huge heavy blues influence, but they also are known for, I think just as much they're known for their ballads. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. A lot of times their ballads aren't just these cheesy ones that, you know, I mean, there are some that are better than others, but I mean, I can remember, you know, having school dances, even the prom and, you know, walking in the sand was like a big one for us. Um, and uh, there was a couple of others that, you know, did Aerosmith, and yet they didn't sound like if you were a guy, it wasn't lame to like those. <laughs> <laughs> they didn't even have their first hit until like way into their career. And it was with a ballad. It was that was uh, the space move, the Armageddon, Armageddon something. What's it called? Yeah, but that's 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 not their first Armageddon. hit. That's their first number one. Their first yeah. number one, yeah. I meant. Yeah, yeah. Their first their first chart hit was Dream On. Yeah, yeah, which was kind sure. of a ballad, but and that's yeah, that's a, that's a slower song. Yeah, it's a um, ballad. And it was yeah, it was someone at uh, a DJ at uh, BCN that played that for the first time, uh, and took the chance on them because they they were having a hard time. Um, getting out there, getting themselves out there. Yeah, that was um, a jock named Maxine Sartori, who um, not only was she one of the very few female jocks in the early 70s, 
Um, she is credited with uh, playing a big role in breaking the career of Jay Giles. Later on, she would break uh, break the cars. Mm-hmm. And she was a, a passionate um, advocate for, for Aerosmith. She had to um, fight real hard with her program director to uh, play them. And he finally gave her the benefit of the doubt. And the uh, response was amazing. Mm. So Maxan has played a huge role, not just in Boston radio, but uh, yeah, rock and roll history. Yeah. And, and yeah, BCN just has that reputation. I don't think it was her, but it was another uh, jock there who uh, played, was the first one to play. I think we mentioned this on the U2 uh, uh, show that we did, but it was the first station in the country to play U2. Um, and uh, so, yeah, BCN was a huge deal. Um, it's funny, though, because now we go, oh, well, of course, Boston bands, you know, are huge. That's Boston's just this fertile ground for for music but at the time when Aerosmith was starting uh Joe says in his book uh he said specifically that he did not when they were starting out they didn't he did not want to be known as a Boston band because at that time the only Boston band that had ever gone national with any level of success was Jay Giles and even they were not huge um mm-hmm. so it, really Aerosmith probably eclipsed them pretty quickly and then became like the, the Boston band. I mean, obviously there's Boston, which when you, you, when your name, you've got the same name as the city, you know, people are going to associate you a little bit more, but I think outside of that, as far as, um, you know, Aerosmith goes, I mean, they are not only the uh, best selling musicians in from Boston, but they're also the biggest one in the country, you could argue. So. Um, but I'm kind of curious. So like what songs or what, is there any particular eras that, uh, that you sort of associate with a little bit more? Um, Bambi, I think you said that you, obviously it's the later one, but did you go back and, and really like the, oh, yeah. the old stuff? I, or I started, just I guess really my first, first stuff. albums I got like permanent, permanent vacation was the first album I had gotten, but I also ended up like immediately after getting that, I liked it so much. I got, uh, uh, get a grip and um, toys in the attic. And it just, I, I got a bunch of them, but I love pump. That's probably my favorite from mm-hmm. start to finish is pump. Yeah. That's a, that's got like, I mean, I think it's got like five or six hits on it. Certainly yeah. that, that, that tra- charted anyway. Um, and as you said, as one of you pointed out, I mean, they, they played the MTV yeah. game. Yeah. They, uh, they, especially during that era, there wasn't, you couldn't flip on MTV for more than half an hour without seeing, you know, and it was usually uh, Alicia Silverstone. It wasn't Alicia yep. Silverstone and uh, Liv well, that, yeah, That's the get a grip era. Yeah. Yeah. So um, that was pretty, that was pretty mm-hmm. huge. Um, Mike, what about you? As far as like which era you sort of, is there one that you sort of cling to or is it all, all good? All good. Or? You know, mostly the greatest hits era you know, all the way through there's different, you know, there's different songs that I like more than others, but I, in all truth, I got burnt out on Aerosmith very quickly because a lot of the top 40 stations were playing them all the time. And, you know, when I did that, I tuned out the bands and that's a lot of times that's why I went more towards the new wave and the punk rock stuff. 
and the alternative more than what was playing on top 40 radio and Aerosmith fit that bill, especially in the eighties. But I came back to it a lot more later on in the nineties and into the two thousands. I went back and listened to a lot of their stuff again. And like, this is really good stuff and really started really appreciating what they had come up with. And, you know, I love the toys in the attic stuff. I love stuff from, you know, the whole stuff they did play on MTV. And it was just, it was great because they kept true to themselves. They didn't go with trends and such. They evolved, of course, most bands do, but they kept true. If you listen to something like Dream On or the original recording of Walk This Way, you will hear pretty much a lot of the same soul that you hear in later stuff. And that's what a sign of a really good, true band. I think for me too, a sign that they're, that they're like above, like their contemporaries is that their songs are never just like one riff over and over again. Uh, I think a lot of their songs um, are more complicated than that. Uh, they, they, they sort of have, they take you through, I don't want to get too poetic here, but they kind of take you through a journey rather than, than just like stamp a chorus and a, and a oh, God. trying and to play them on guitar hero was truly horrible. <laughs> Are they, the, like, they were the first band to have their own guitar hero. Yes, right? they were. So mm. that was pretty, I had neat. forgotten that you're right. Yeah, they had like my I mean, brain would have thought that would have been ACDC, but you're right. No, they even the beat the Beatles. Yeah, that's crazy. Well, incredible. I wonder if Beatles would have been licensing though. Well, the Aerosmith was not. I mean, look, there's nothing compared to Kiss, but Aerosmith marketing was yeah. pretty out there. I mean, they're the they were the first band to uh, to be in a Guitar Hero. They they actually have they had some sort of arcade game, which is like a shooter game thing mm-hmm. that I do remember seeing uh, back in the 2000s. I yeah, think. But, but Journey I mean, had the, to beat way before that. And then they're like, I think they're the only band that has their own roller coaster, yeah. like their own ride at Universal, yep. right? I mean, that's, that's pretty amazing. I got amazing. broken down on it. Yeah. It was awesome. Uh, and I think when you're riding it, <laughs> like there's speakers, right, that play Aerosmith songs? Yep, while you're, right, while you're right riding. behind your head on both sides. Yeah. Have you been? Oh, yeah. It broke down when I took it. Oh, okay. That's awesome. I sat on it for three hours while I had tried to get it started again. William and I were not happy. (laughs) Just listen. Was it the same song over and over again? Was it It was different songs at least? Okay, well that's that was going to be. Oh, if it was the same song, Uh, I couldn't tell you what it was. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, Stephen Wright. (laughs) Michelle, what about you? Is there any particular era or album that you uh, uh, focus on when you think of Aerosmith? Um, mostly the, uh, Sweet Emotion, Walk This Way, Dream On era. Um, so early. <laughs> yeah, pretty early. First two albums. Uh, <laughs> and then, uh, Living on the Edge comes to mind. Early 90s. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Ricky, what about you? For me, with the early stuff, 
I love Toys in the Attic. Yeah, uh, that's my favorite album. album. And it feels like, to me, it feels like a Greatest Hits album. Yeah, that's what I think. <laughs> I, I often like that. It, it feels like there's maybe one or two songs on that album that I don't hear on the radio. But um, aside from Toys in the Attic, a lot of their early stuff just is not as awesome. <laughs> I mean, Toys in the Attic clearly stands above most of the other albums for me from the early era. But some of the early albums, I'm just, you know, I'm kind of searching for even one song that I would put on a playlist if I had playlists. Um, I'm searching for one song that I'd put on a compilation CD. A mixtape of your own. Mixtape. But so for the early stuff, Toys in the Attic, definitely. And I, you know, I like songs here and there for the other albums. For the later, or I guess I should say mid-career stuff, the, the stuff that came out in the 80s, Permanent Vacation, Pump, and Get a Grip, were like a triple threat of three awesome albums. And I loved all three of those albums. Mm-hmm. Maybe, maybe Pump a little bit more, but I could also be persuaded that Get a Grip is maybe a little bit better. Um, but all three of those, great albums. And then after uh, Get a Grip, I would say, interestingly enough, the one that I would listen to the most is actually their album of blues, Honkin' on Bobo. I, I actually haven't heard that, but I, I want to. I bet that is really good. Yeah, it. there were a lot of albums that came out after the three that I mentioned that I liked so much that I was just kind of like, huh, what happened? But then, and and the further you got from that time period, the fewer great songs for me, me personally, the fewer great songs I was hearing. But when Honkin' on Bobo came out, I thought, well, this I can listen to. This mm-hmm. I, can, I can listen to this a lot. So those are kind of my, for me, just me personally, my peaks of the band. There are no, uh, um, uh, a lot of the tracks. See, I could, especially for the early years, the first maybe five albums that they did, did uh i could probably pick one or two songs off of each one of those and and think that they were they're amazing um uh and uh but toys in the attic is the is the high point for me like i said when i when i bought my first cd player it was one of the first cds that i i bought um because i just love that album so much and uh and that's the one that really put them over and i can see why because it's incredible and yeah i don't think they I don't think they were able to capture a a complete album like that until probably pump really. Uh, I like permanent vacation a lot, but now that I listened to it just this weekend and I thought, Hmm, some of this is a little, not as good as I remember it being. Um, I mean, it's still like a lot of it's good, but there were some tracks that I, I was like, Oh, this kind of feels a little dated. Um, Because one thing I like about the original like few albums is it's pretty much just the five guys. It's just the five guys playing the hell out of music. And uh, it's, it's written by them. I mean, they do a couple of blues covers here and there. I think they almost always put a blues cover or something like that in, in most of their albums. But um, I, I, 
you know, the, the later years, the Geffen years, we're talking about permanent vacation and all those, mm-hmm. those are ones where they've got different writers coming in and working with them. They've got other musicians coming in. They're putting other things producing wise into the music as well. So to me, it sounds, I mean, it sounds pretty incredible, but it's also uh, like their early years feels a little bit more stripped down and uh, probably like they do much like they do live. Uh, I would imagine. So, um, so I've seen them live. Michelle, have you seen them live? No. Okay. So you haven't seen them. Mike, have you seen them live? No, I have not. Okay. And Ricky, maybe you have seen them. Yes. Live, right? We've both yes. seen them. Okay. So before you talk about how incredible they are, because almost everybody <laughs> I know says they're incredible. They're one of the best live bands to see period. Uh, I have to tell you that unfortunately I do not share that uh, view because uh, unfortunately, the time that I saw them, um, for the longest time, I thought it was because it was, and in full disclosure here, it was the first time, the first uh, actual concert that I ever saw a drunk. Um, oh. <laughs> so uh, it, was, it was... But it wasn't the last. <laughs> no. That's true. Uh, <laughs> that's true. So, yeah, I can, um, and I remember, and I remember it was a long night too, because since they were going to play until midnight, because it was a New Year's Eve show, they didn't come on till late. Um, and I remember Dawkins opened for them, and I'm not a I'm not a Dawkins fan at all. And so, yes, it was a lot of like I was I, <laughs> I was not happy with the opening band, and then I was drunk and my buzz had worn off by the time they came on, and it was just and. I also think this was also the time where they were not as good on live because they were all whacked out. Um, uh, so it probably was a little bit of all of that because I think it was shortly after that where Steven was collapsing on stage uh, like two or three times. Yeah, I guess that's true. I did hear there was a, like that towards the end uh, before they, they cleaned up, apparently they were pretty bad. Well, even after they quote unquote cleaned up, Stephen was still like having issues with struggling with that, with with trying to maintain that. And that's when he started really collapsing as well. Mm -hmm. Uh, Yeah, the book by Joe's book. I mean, he doesn't like I said, he doesn't point fingers and he's pretty he tells pretty much straight everything straightforward and he doesn't judge per se. But I will say that my opinion of Steven Tyler has been knocked down quite a few pegs. Oh, maybe I don't need to read any of that. (laughs) I read it because I was just like, wow, he's a jerk. And it's one of those situations too, where I was thinking about it, like under normal circumstances, like if you had a colleague or someone that you knew, like a friend or something, and the guy was pulling this crap, you would disown him. You'd be like, you know, at the very least, you'd be like, you know what? I'm not hanging out with you. Right. Um, but I think, and and I guess, you know, you guys can speak to this as well. Um, and Joe talks about it a little bit, but I kind of made this connection um, outside of, like, I kind of inferred it more than he actually stated it. But there's a connection that you, like, you can, you can make with certain people uh, on stage that it doesn't matter what they're like off stage. But on stage, when you're performing, it clicks. Yeah. And... Joe certainly worked with so many people both before and after or, you know, since or whatever that he knows. I think that's one of the reasons why he came back to Aerosmith. Mm -hmm. Well, that and the money, (laughs) but he came back, he came back because he knew playing with these four other guys, it was, it was special. 
it was something that he like he couldn't recreate it it was just something that he mm-hmm. had to do and you guys have I'll, I'll respond to that as a musician i can tell you that we have worked with people who uh i may not have much respect for as human beings but as a musician you know, it, like you were saying, you get up on stage and it just clicks. And there, there have definitely been times when uh, every person on stage, regardless of what's going on off stage, has put all of that aside, and and it's almost like you're with a different group of people. Yeah. You get on stage, and it's it's not the people who are doing all of this terrible stuff, or it's not the people who are angry at you because you're doing all this terrible stuff. It's just like it's it's a different group of people and everybody's just locked together doing the show. And it's a very weird thing, but I've experienced it enough to know that it's uh, more common than people might think. Mm-hmm. It's, it's probably something that's unique to that that sort of uh endeavor you know like like i'm sure i mean i've i've participated in other artistic endeavors making movies for example or something like that where you're working with a lot of people but you know if someone's toxic on a set i mean that can really you know take the morale down and really affect everything whereas it seems like you know it just um it seems like with music it it's not necessarily a given you know that, yeah, uh, but you're saying toxic five guys that can play. It, if they're toxic on stage, that's a different thing. Yes, yes. If it's I mean, just all off stage, I mean, then I could see a movie being the same. You might have a person that you think is a terrible person, but as soon as they get on set, they do their job so well that it's like, well, I guess I can live with them being a jerk off set if they uh-huh. do their job this well on mm-hmm. set. Yeah, I guess in some ways it's sort of like, you know, I mean, uh, yeah, it's sort of like you, you, you sort of can understand why some people stay in abusive relationships if the sex is good, right? Like they, they, it's just kind of like, well, because you're kind of you know, like, because you know, like reading the book, I was kind of like, man, why does Joe have to put up with this stuff? But because, I mean, he honestly thinks of Stephen as a brother. Mm-hmm. Um, um, I mean, they they live close together, they vacation together, yeah. um, and yet, you know, they do terrible things to one another. <laughs> kind of like a brother, like a brother. <laughs> yeah and i mean terrible like absolutely terrible um uh i mean nobody dies but you know right. uh, there's people come close i think so um and i'm like i said i'm surprised neither one of them did yeah but uh they're so full of like artificial <laughs> stuff at this point though after all those drugs but i think it is amazing <laughs> like that you can take I mean, you can take five people who play really well. You can take yeah. the best, like the best guitarist, the best bass player, the best drummer, and you put them together and they might not click. Mm-hmm. But you can take like, oh, he's a so-so drummer. He's a really good guitarist, you know, put him with a front man and a decent bass player. And all of a sudden it's like, wow, that's the best sounding band I've ever heard. Yeah. I would like to say uh, using the drummer as the weak link's a bad example. Yeah. Because <laughs> yeah, yeah, no. Really yeah, tough yeah, to have Kramer. a good band. Well, no, I mean, uh, I don't think he meant that as okay. a direction. Yeah. No, no, no. I, I, I kind of, I, I think uh, subconsciously I might have because with Aerosmith, it's unique because uh, not that Joey, the drummer, was, uh, uh, Joey Kramer was bad. He was not bad. As a matter of fact, he was really solid. But um, since Stephen 
was a drummer as well mm-hmm. and a very good one which is something i didn't know until i read the book um he and he de- and he demanded perfection out of everybody mm-hmm. but because he couldn't play really the bass or lead guitar or whatever mm-hmm. you know he didn't like you know he didn't get on everybody's nerves or get in their face as much as he did joey because you know he wanted joey to play the drums like he would play the drums right and and that's where like i think joey wrote a book as well which is basically like my years of being abused by steven tyler Uh, (laughs) um, really that's what i think that's what it is um and so but um but regardless, I, I just find all that fascinating. But reg- and it's a, you know it's it's true of it's a, I think someone should also do a study too because when you look at bands like this, I mean when they first were coming up, I mean people compared them to Led Zeppelin and Rolling Stones because of that whole like uh, you know front man who sort of got this 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 look and this persona, and then the the lead guitarist which has got this kind of dark stoic persona mm-hmm. and you, know, you carry that over even after Aerosmith the Guns N' Roses and it's like wow that's like a huge like that's like a weird kind of thing that travels through all these bands over well, time. Lash was really influenced from uh, Joe Perry. Oh totally. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean look at his look. <laughs> yeah yeah well I think they all kind of I mean I must have like it must have started with the Stones mm-hmm. and then the Who and then uh, Led Zeppelin and then Aerosmith, you know, like, like I guess it just, mm-hmm. I guess it just kept going on and on. And, and of course, as a, as a, you know, a music a producer or whatever, or a company like a label is like, oh, we can market that because we can market them just like we marketed this band. Right. Right. So that makes it a little bit easier as well. But uh, I want to hear about you guys um, seeing, seeing Aerosmith because you I might had a much better time than I did. And probably then maybe it's because you were sober. Uh, well, the time I saw him, it was amazing. I can't remember what, what tour it was, but um, I saw him when they were playing with Kiss. Okay. That tour where they kind of flip-flopped who was headlining each show. And um, I'd never seen Kiss until that show either, but Aerosmith was so freaking good. I can't, I just, I wish I wish I could be even a little bit like that. <laughs> it's just what What makes it like, like you said, good, but what 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 is what links it in particular? Well, it just they were so tight with each other, and on top of that, Stephen just apparently was having a phenomenally good night. Watching him run across this insanely large stage from one end to the other, grab on a rope, swing out into the audience, and swing back around, land on the stage, continue running, and then just stop and hit these phenomenal notes. It's like, good lord, dude. <laughs> That's yeah. really, really impressive. That was the moment in the show that I was going to reference because Ugh. it just blew my mind that this guy who at the time, I don't remember how old he was. I'm not sure exactly mm-hmm. what year we saw him either, but at the time he was older than in his prime and to run across that stage singing, swing out over the audience, land back on the other side of the stage, run up to the mic and hit this note. I could never have done that. Yeah. I mean, there's never been a point in my life where I would have been able to do that. That's just an amazing feat. And what Bambi didn't mention is the entire night we kept seeing Steven just singing amazingly and then run off to the side of the stage and yell at the monitor engineer because he couldn't hear anything in his monitors. So they were doing all this without being able to hear themselves. Yeah. 
I wish I wish I had that experience. Uh, I've heard that they are like one of the best bands, and I've seen clips of them perform live mm-hmm. at festivals and all that. Even uh, a few years ago, I think they were at um, that big festival that's in Britain. I can't think of the name of it, but uh, it's that. Oh, the Isle of Wight. They were they closed. No, no, the um, uh, what's up? No, no, it's a uh, uh, it's looking about me now. Um, but anyway. Um, Download Festival? Is it the Download Festival? I guess it's not that big if we can't remember it. (laughs) I know, right? Well, look, at my age, it's not, you know, it's nothing against the actual festival. Uh, I'm not going to leave it down there. But, uh, okay, well, man, there's still a lot to cover, but I think we're going to... What's that? Glastonbury. Glastonbury. Yeah, that's a big one, too. Um, (laughs) Oh, that one, you know. (laughs) Yes. All right. So if uh, for those people out there if, if, that either haven't experienced a lot of Aerosmith or are looking for something like deeper uh, other than just the greatest hits or whatever, what what do you recommend that people who really should check out if they're interested in Aerosmith? Uh, Mike, we'll start with you. Well, you know, Best of Saturday Night Live is always great because they did make an appearance on Wayne's World. That was always a good one for the people. That is true. That's true. So, you know, they did show up in the basement with Wayne and Garth, which was really awesome. You can find that up on YouTube. Um, but truthfully, anything, for, I for me, I'm more of an early Aerosmith. It was just more raw, more powerful to me. So I'd probably say the very first Greatest Hits CD they put out is, for me, you know, amazing. And, you know, it's on my, my playlist and more than a lot of the later stuff. I, you know, I have it, but I won't go out and listen to that as much. I know a lot of people, you know, love the stuff, you know, for the MTV era and later on. But for me, it's still, you know, for me, they were a kick-ass rock band from Boston. And I, that's what the era I loved. Yeah. And Michelle, what about you? Having never seen them live, um, I'll just always think of, uh, man, this is back when we when we lived in Iowa before I moved down here. Just all those late nights on uh, 97X, mm. hearing those old songs. Yeah, the, uh, the um, like, I, I mean, everybody talks about, and I will definitely recommend Toys in the Attic, but if if you're an Aerosmith fan or a casual one, uh, you probably already will. I'm not going to tell you anything you don't know about Toys in the Attic. Um, but I will say that I think it's oddly enough, uh, it's a track off of the follow-up to that album, Rocks, that I actually I think I have in my head. When I think of Aerosmith, the first song that I think of is Last Child. Like that song for me is defines Aerosmith. It's just this powerful song it's uh that's that seems complex which by the way i wanted to to ask you guys and 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 obviously mm-hmm. what uh, your Aerosmith stuff is but but playing covers as many as, as much as you do do you play a lot of aerosmith covers we do a couple mm-hmm. yeah is there now are those ones of your design do you get a lot of requests for aerosmith um <clears throat> there have been periods where we have gotten more requests 
than other periods of time. Uh, if we're playing a classic rock show, I think Aerosmith fits in really well with that. You know, they're clearly one of the standout classic rock bands. But overall, I wouldn't say Aerosmith is something that we get an extraordinary number of requests for. Um, we get way more requests for Queen. Uh, there are other bands that we have requests for a lot more often than Aerosmith. But what I will say about playing Aerosmith songs is the bass lines are way more difficult than you would think listening to the songs and very fun to play. Hmm. And the, oh man, now see, I'm drawing a blank. The bass player is that Tom, Tom Hamilton. Hamilton, Tom Hamilton, right. Tom Hamilton and Tom Hamilton, Joey Kramer, Brad Woodford don't get near the attention, right? Yeah. Oh yeah. I know they're, well, Joey Kramer, he's like the, it's, I don't know if it's still the case, but at one point he was the most sampled drummer of all time. And I don't mean like necessarily by drum parts, but just the drum sound that he got has been oh. used for so many drum kits because it's so iconic sounding. Imagine just the drum work he did on Walk This Way makes, yeah. it, that, makes it the most popular. But she's no, not I'm even talking about the drum parts. It's like they'll the take tone. a sample of one drum being hit yeah. once and take that drum and put it into a computer drum kit. And then they'll take the sound of another drum being hit mm -hmm. once and they'll create a drum kit that you can then write your own drum parts, but the kit will sound like his kit. Yeah. He had just such a hard hitting, but solid sound to him that it's, he's phenomenal for that. Now, Bambi, is there an Aerosmith song that you love to sing? <laughs> uh, yeah, several, all the ones that we do, because I, I love Steven Tyler. <laughs> it's so much fun to do. <laughs> But uh, is there anything that he like that he does vocally that you that that you have implemented? Um, kind of his attack. He's kind of got like a sassiness to him that's fun. I don't know. He's just like to me. You want to sound like a rock drummer? He sounds like a rock singer. He's got great harmonies. He's got this impressive vocal range that people don't seem to notice. I mean, he's got a really, really wide vocal vocal range. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, like, you know, he can sing really deep and he can sing really high and people just don't think about it. So, yeah. Um, <laughs> I so wish Ricky, I was No, so Ricky... Maybe not so in what, person, but his talent. What's, what's something that you would refer to uh, for people to check out for Aerosmith fans? See, that's really hard because Aerosmith just has so many different... like. It, they're rock. They're always rock, but there's so, so many different aspects. So if I had to narrow it down to like, I was thinking this while you guys were talking like one album, I don't know, you know, I would say a greatest hits just so you can kind of sample their, their different edginess and the different points of their career. But um, if I had to narrow it down to one song, I would probably pick sweet emotion because it's both kind of got, a bit of their ballad feel that they're good at, but it's also got the, the rock side of it. And it just, you know, it's, it's just up and down throughout the song. It, it has so many highs and lows throughout it. It's a really interesting song to listen to. So, yeah. Ricky, what about you? It's, um, there's so many classic albums, classic songs by Aerosmith 
that I kind of feel like if you like classic rock, you've heard Toys in the Attic. You've heard mm-hmm. the, the greatest songs they've done. I feel like most of their best songs were hits. They have some good songs that weren't. But if you're familiar with the hits, if you like rock music, you're probably familiar with Aerosmith. So unless you're somebody who's just new to rock music entirely, if you're somebody who's familiar with Aerosmith, I would actually recommend just press play, just, sorry, just push play, because that's an album that most people probably haven't heard. I don't know if any of those songs got much play outside of just people listening to the album, but it's a really good album. Wasn't, I think that had I'm sorry. Jaded on it? It did. It did yeah. have that on Or it was there. Pink. I can't remember which one Pink. The Pink is my favorite color. Which one? I can't remember. That was on Nine... No, I don't remember if that was on Nine Lives or not. But it came so I late that I don't think it got the attention of the earlier mm-hmm. ones. Yeah, that's true. That's true. It's not, it's not one that I think of very often. I don't even think I've heard most of it, so... So good call. Well, yeah. good call and and good pick, Bambi. This was fun. Ah, thank you. Um, so, uh, uh, yeah. So thanks for hanging out and talking about Aerosmith, guys. Yeah, yeah. thank you for having us. Absolutely, absolutely. I can't wait till the next one we do. And I don't think we've decided on what artist we're going to do next, but uh, we will definitely let you guys know. And uh, and, and right now we're going to take a quick break uh, for the ESO Network con. Welcome to Geek Girl's Take. I'm your host, Angela, and this week, this Geek Girl is talking about the show Final Space. So there's this new show produced by Conan O'Brien called Final Space. Well, being a big fan of any animated series that Conan O'Brien works on, I was super excited to check this out. And so far, it's been really, really fun. We meet Gary, a guy who thinks that he is just all that in a bag of chips, but comedically is not. And it's super sad because the guy is super naive and comes across as very sweet, but just doesn't do anything right. Well, he decides to try and hit on a girl named Quinn in a bar, who happens to be part of the Space Army government in this series. He decides to impersonate a pilot to impress her and flirt with her. Well, someone attacks and she takes him to a ship, which he cannot fly, And he ends up blowing up like 80% of their ships and a locally owned Mexican restaurant. So he is then imprisoned on a ship in space for five years alone with just robots to talk to. Gary records messages every day for Quinn. And basically spills his heart to her saying how much she loves her. But he also gets to meet this super cute little green alien that may just be a huge death machine for destroying the universe. And then he also meets this cat humanoid named Avocado, who is trying to save his son from the villain of the series that we see from time to time, who is trying to get a hold of the little green alien, which is super duper cute. So this show so far is super funny, and it has so much going on in just the first few episodes. I would... Highly recommend it if you like stuff like American Dad and Futurama and The Simpsons and stuff like that. It's pretty similar, but it's also very unique from those shows. So it's a good watch. Well, thanks for listening to A Geek Girl's Take. What will I talk about next week? Well, you're going to have to listen to find out. 
Hey, everyone. Welcome back for the week of February 12th, 2019. It's the ESO Network Con Report. Well, here's places you can find ESO Network folks uh, for the next uh, month or two. And uh, we're going to start right with this weekend. It's a big one, uh, February 15th through uh, 15th and the 16th here in Atlanta, Georgia, is Inuhele. It is a tiki weekend, Friday and Saturday at the uh, Marriott uh, Century Center, the Atlanta Marriott Century Center. It is a celebration of all things tiki right here in Atlanta. We've got uh, a tiki tour of four tiki bars that are local here, as well as a a dealer room and panels in the actual hotel. I will be there uh, representing Tiki Zombie, of course. And so I can't wait to see everybody else else out there. And it's going to be a good time. And yes, where there will be drinking. There will be a lot of drinking. So, uh, so bring your tiki mug. Also, the 15th to the 17th is Gallifrey One. That is over on the other coast, Los Angeles. It is the one of the biggest Doctor Who conventions in the United States. Uh, from the Flopcast, Felicity, the mayor of Chickentown, will be representing. She'll be on some panels and celebrating all things Doctor Who over there. Uh, then we go to March. March 1st through the 3rd is MarsCon. That is in Bloomington, Minnesota. Uh, Cornflake from the Flopcast. She will be holding her famous, or should I say infamous, aquatic aerobic program there. So that's one not to miss, as well as uh, a lot of other great guests are at MarsCon. The following week of March, March 9th through 10th, is SC Comic-Con. It is uh, in Greenville, South Carolina. It's one of our favorite shows to do. Mike and I will be there representing ESO and Tiki Zombie. Uh, there's going to be a lot of other friends of the station as well. We've gonna, we're going to be hosting panels, and we'll be announcing those pretty soon, so keep watch for that. And then the following weekend is actually two weekends after that, March 22nd through the 25th, is Matrotham Con. That is in Eastridge, Tennessee. It is the first year ever for that show, so we're really excited to be part of that. I will be there representing Tiki Zombie once again. And uh, yeah, it's going to be a busy time for me, so I hope to see everybody out there at all these conventions. And if there's one that I haven't mentioned here that you want to rave about or help promote, please reach out to us because we love talking about conventions. So that's going to wrap up another episode of the Earth Station One podcast. I want to thank everyone for joining us. And Bambi, you did a great job at picking Aerosmith. Oh, thank you. (laughs) Thank you you to both you and Ricky for joining us tonight. Thanks for having us. Anything you guys want to promote? Nah, you can go, Ricky. I don't know. I don't know. I was like... (laughs) I can't remember if we mentioned it the last time we were on or not, but uh, the Possum Kingdom Ramblers, the band that Bambi and I are in playing Nerdgrass music, recently, and by recently, I mean October of last year. uh, So (laughs) that's not too recent. But hey, um, it's worth mentioning, especially since Mike Gordon's on the show here, we recently released the song Cthulhu Out mm. on all of the uh, music download places, mm-hmm. which is a song relating to Mike's Tiki Zombie comic book. Yay! First, yeah, song, awesome. first song on the upcoming Tiki Zombie sequel CD. <laughs> which it's the title track, actually. Title track. So you know ah. it's got to be good. <laughs> <laughs> 
That is awesome. Congratulations, guys, for doing it. And Mikey, congrats for the new you know, CD go, being dedicated towards Tiki Zombie. Yeah, it's, it's a lot of fun. I'm really, I'm really happy and I'm really uh, grateful for, uh, for everybody per- for participating. It's, uh, it's coming along really nicely. It's slow, but it's, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be really worth it. Very awesome. And anything, while you're here, what shout out do you got tonight? Um, I'm going to give a shout out to our good friend, former, <laughs> former ESO network podcaster, Van Allen Plexico, who, uh, is still doing over there. Oh, he's still got his white rocket show. And I appeared on that, uh, over the weekend. I think it's going to be released in the next week or so. Uh, but we talked, uh, I, I had never ever, uh, until this past week read, uh, the infinity gauntlet series from Marvel back in the nineties. So I, I read that and uh, I wanted to talk about it with someone and Van said, I will talk about it with you and I will hit record. And so he did. And uh, so, yeah, we got a nice show out of it where um, he is uh, an expert in all things Avengers and Marvel around that time period. So it was a great discussion between uh, my uh, reading it for the first time and him being very familiar. And, and just, you know, to get ready for, uh, you know, the upcoming end game. Yep, that little thing that's happening in a couple months. Just a little bit. God, we're only what a little over two months away. Yeah, we're we're it's getting close. Oh, it's getting scary close. <laughs> and of course, Michelle, thank you, thank you so much for all the work you do for the music segment. Thank you for having me. And anything you want to shout out about? Um, I don't really have a shout out, but I've got a little Aerosmith related news blurb I'll leave y'all with. Mm-hmm. Um, Steven Tyler, whatever people think of Steven Tyler, he um, has a charity initiative called uh, Janie's House. Oh, that's right. Yeah. You know, Janie got a gun about mm-hmm. an abused uh, teenager. Uh, he opened the first Janie's House here in Atlanta. And uh, just last week or two weeks ago, he opened the second one in Memphis. And he was personally on hand to uh, to meet some of the women that stay there. Um, it provides a place for abused women to stay while, they, uh, uh, while they're able to make plans for education and to find jobs and, and get back on their feet. Um, so that is a very cool thing that... Uh, Steven Tyler was in the news for recently. Yeah, I'd forgotten about that. Yeah. That is awesome. And it's going towards a really good cause. Yeah. And, and you know, good on you, Steven. Very awesome. All right. My shout out real quick is going out to my f- poor friends in Seattle who are getting hammered with their third snowstorm of the week. Not the month, not the year, but the week. Ugh. And Seattle doesn't get snow. And that's the big, you know, thing about it. Seattle gets rain. Seattle does not get snow. And it's just incredible seeing the pictures and hearing the stories and such. And, you know, the rest of the country is, you know, fairly used to it, especially further north. And you would think someplace like Seattle, which is further north, is used to that kind of stuff, but they're not. And it's kind of like Atlanta with snow. They get more than an inch, the city shuts down. And that's what they're being hit with, ice and snow. And, you know, my best wishes are going out to them. And I hope 
and pray everybody's okay, that they keep power. I know my friends, one or two of them had lost power and for about two days. And so thank goodness for fireplaces, but, Mm -hmm. and you know, best wishes for everybody. And you know, the new storm is coming in, I think starting tomorrow as of this recording. So (laughs) be prepared for another three to six inches. So there you go. So (laughs) thank you also everyone. We had a new show join the ESO network. We have now the ESO network riffs. The first episode is out and it is available if you're a patron. So, you know, it's available to all levels of the Patreon and for as little as 25 cents a week, as we keep on saying, you could help support the network and you now get your own show and it's going to be coming to you monthly. And episode one came out and we did the 1989 Batman and we had a blast doing it. So we will be doing another one next month, uh, probably in, you know, probably about three weeks, four weeks, and we will have that coming up. And it's going to be, I could give the title now, we are going to be doing Star Trek to the Wrath of Khan for our second episode. So look for it. And, you know, this is what you have to look for. Our all original content from our folks, other podcasters are doing it. We're doing it. And, you know, now please, you know, help support this network and you have some great stuff up now up on the ESO network, Patreon. Definitely cool stuff. So that is going to wrap up our show and we are going to be back again next week here on earth station one, where it's always going to be free for you guys. So we are going to be talking all about Alita. That's right. The new movie coming out by Robert Rodriguez. It's going to be a lot of fun. And it looks really interesting. And we got a great crew together already to talk about it. So we will be back next week to talk with another movie review. Wow. And Captain Marvel is not is almost right around the corner also. Yeah, I think the summer movie season has already started. <laughs> yeah, I think pretty much you're right. It might not feel like summer in your neighborhood, but it's... <laughs> That's it for this week. My name is Mike Faber. We will see you here next time on... The Earth Station One Podcast. Peace, and we're done. You've been listening to the Earth Station One Podcast, a show by fans for fans. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe to our show up on iTunes or wherever fine podcasts are found. While you're up there, please rate us and remember to leave feedback. It would greatly be appreciated. And remember to tell your friends all about us while you're at it. Earth Station One is available on most social media sites where you can join some really great topics or chats. Help support our show by shopping through our Amazon.com link or purchasing very cool ESO Network clothing and merchandise at our T Public store. Links to both are found on the top of our ESO Network webpage. Become a patron of the ESO Network by backing us up on Patreon for as little as 25 cents a week. Go to patreon.com slash ESO Network to sign up. We want to hear from you. Please write us at earthstation1 at esonetwork.com or call us at 404-963-9057. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time here on the Earth Station One podcast. Peace, and we're done. Let's take a quick break, and we'll be back in a moment with Aerosmith. <laughs> wow, I think that's like the first time I've ever heard like Bobby like do a, a song that I recognize. That is awesome. It just felt like there should have been something there. <laughs> oh, there there will be. It's called post editing, my friend. I know, I know. <laughs>
but I won't be here for that part. So. This has been a broadcast of the ESO Network. Be part of the crew and help support our shows by donating to our ESO Patreon or by shopping through Amazon.com or the Tee Public Store, which can all be found at www.esonetwork.com. The ESO Network, your station for all things geek. Thank you.